We're coming to a text that is probably very familiar uh, to you, Luke chapter 4 and verse 14. And I'm going to read this passage, and then we're going to look at what it's saying to us. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. On rolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is one of the most dramatic uh, texts in the Bible. It's the closest you get to uh, a mission statement from the Lord Jesus. And it's a text that has a lot to say about the church and what we're to be and what we're to do. And the call to be God's kingdom people comes in this passage in at least three ways. I've, I've got three main points this morning. And the first one is that we are called to be God's kingdom people in the peripheral places. So if you, if you just look at those verses again, verses 14 to 16, Jesus returned to Galilee. He went to Nazareth. Jesus focused his mission in the province of Galilee the peripheral, marginal sector of the Jewish nation. You remember Nathaniel's question? I was going to get Nathaniel actually to shout out this question. He may not even be here. But you remember Nathaniel's question in John 1. Not, this is not Donna's Nathaniel. <laughs> he wasn't around. John 1, 46. Can anything good come out of Galilee, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of that place? And that question said it all because it reflected particularly what the religious leaders thought about that part of, of the world. Uh, that, that nothing good comes out of it and, and nothing good comes from those people that live up there. Galilee was a mixed bag of people's Gentiles, Jews. Galilee literally means the circle. And people referred to it as a circle of pagans, not the sort of place you really want to be launching something world-changing from. But it was no accident that Jesus started the core of his ministry in the despised area of Galilee. He identified himself with the non-peoples of Galilee. And starting with them, he laid the foundations of his kingdom community, the new humanity that the gospel creates. So as local churches, if we're to follow the example of Jesus, 
We'll need to follow him to the peripheral places, to, to the marginalized peoples in our society that, that society has got little time for, uh, and into the wider world, to the dispossessed, to the disinherited of the world, the nobodies, the oppressed, the people overlooked by society and pushed to the margins and not listened to. That includes people with disabilities. Here are some statistics. Around 10% of the world's population, roughly 650 million people, live with a disability. 80% of persons with disabilities live in developing countries. 20% of the world's poorest people have some kind of disability. And these, these, uh, these statistics uh, are increasing, all of them. And in Southeast Asia, where OMF has a particular focus, there are 17 million people with uh, disability. And because of factors like particularly the aging populations in those nations of Southeast Asia, that particular part of the world of Southeast Asia will experience the greatest international growth in the number of disabled people over the next 25 years. And in those same countries, of course, many people with disabilities are denied their human rights. And that's why the Cape Town Commitment, and if you haven't come across this little booklet with the Cape Town Commitment in it, I highly commend it to you. There's a section here on Christ's peace for people with disabilities. So it says people with disabilities form one of the largest minority groups in the world. The majority live in the least developed countries and are among the poorest of the poor. Although physical or mental impairment is, is a part of their daily experience, most are also disabled by social attitudes, injustice, and lack of access to resources. But you know, you don't have to go to Southeast Asia to find that people with disabilities are facing uh, social attitudes, injustice, and lack of access to resources. That's a reality for people across the street even here, never mind across the world. So in Luke 4, these verses, they remind us that while there are many ways in which we can and should be involved in, in mission, locally and globally, the one aspect of mission that we must identify and then engage with is ministry among those the world sees as peripheral to its agenda and priorities. Someone puts it like this, poverty and injustice should be like magnet north, turning our compass to missional involvement in their direction. So God works from the periphery. That's where he plants the seeds of his kingdom. This Latin American uh, theologian puts it very well. He says, the periphery is the place where all of us should be leaving behind the dreams of greatness, self-importance, and public recognition that many times are directly associated with the institutional churches and should not be part of a servant church, a prophetic church and liberating church. Isn't that what we want to be? We want to be a servant church, a prophetic church, 
a liberating church. So just take a moment and, and think, where is your Galilee? Who are your Galileans? What periphery is God calling you to as a church? How will your new building help get you there and engage with those? So we're called to be God's kingdom people in the peripheral places. But secondly, we're called to proclaim God's kingdom in all its fullness. Jesus, he declares that Isaiah 61, which is where these verses in Luke 4 come from, Isaiah 61, with its echoes of the Jubilee institution, which are all there in Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 15, all of that stuff is now fulfilled in Jesus And those jubilee themes of forgiveness and liberation and restoration and renewal, these are the holistic dimensions of Jesus' mission. And they're part of Luke's presentation of the gospel of the kingdom that he puts out in his first volume, Luke's gospel, and his second volume, the Acts of the Apostles. And these are very helpfully set out by someone. Uh, Is that four of them? Yeah. Yeah. So when you look at Luke's gospel in particular, you see that this gospel of the kingdom, it's both proclaimed and enacted. It's both spiritual and physical. It's both for for Israel and for the nations, and it's both present and eschatological. And if you don't know what eschatological means, it's not the end of the world. (laughs) So so these categories, the, the poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed, are these spiritual or are they socio-political? If you think they're spiritual, get up off your seat and go to this side of the assembly hall. If you think they're socio-political, get up off your seat and go to this side. We had some training in our office last week and we were asked some, some questions. You know what these are? These It was an HR session, and somebody came in from outside to ask us really difficult, awkward questions, and then asked to, you know, commit to them by going to this side of the room and that side of the room, and then you've got arguments between the people on that side and this side. It's all good fun, but we won't do that today. I can see that none of you are really wanting to do that today, (laughs) but but in your heads, you know, are are these things just spiritual? Because some people, they spiritualize the whole thing, and there are other people, and they just politicize the whole thing, these verses, I mean. Is it about personal salvation from sin? Or is the good news a message of liberation from oppression? Well, my take is that actually this passage is both spiritual and sociopolitical. Because the gospel deals with the totality, the totality of sin's impact in our lives, in our societies, and across the whole creation. So in the New Testament, you find an integral connection between the verbal proclamation of the apostles and the visible attraction of the church as it demonstrated social and economic equality, for instance, in Acts 4. So the gospel is personal and cosmic. It's to be proclaimed and demonstrated. It's to be believed and lived. And when we think about what it means to proclaim the good news, 
to people on the periphery, such as those with disabilities, we've got to be thinking holistically about how we make the good news seen as well as heard. And again, that Cape Town commitment puts it really well. It says this, serving people with disabilities does not stop with medical care or social provision. It involves fighting alongside them, those who care for them and their families for inclusion and equality, both in society and in the church. God calls us to mutual friendship, respect, love, and justice. So Jesus, his, his Nazareth manifesto is very much a manifesto about missional justice. So advocacy should be part of our wider witness as churches. As that Cape Town commitment puts it, fighting alongside people with disabilities, standing with their families and their carers. So you just prayed there for Glenvay School uh, and those proposals about uh, special needs provision and so on. You know, go, go and talk to Donna. Go, go and pursue this and see what, what can be done as you think about it theologically, as you gather around and pray about it, and as you think about practical steps to take. This is part of what it means to be God's kingdom people. And, and secondly, I, I think, you know, it's only a matter of time before there's a referendum here in Northern Ireland that is about the value of life. And the outcome of that referendum could impact uh, on disability in a major, major way. So how are we going to engage in that? We're going to engage just with, with the slogans, or are we going to engage from a thoughtful place of theological reflection and speak into that with authenticity because it's part of our experience as local congregations that we, that we love and are loved by people with disabilities. Because if we're actually doing it and walking the talk, what we say in those debates will come across with authenticity because we're walking the talk. So this mutual friendship, respect, love, and justice, these things are fleshed out in community. So this is the third and final point. We are called to be God's spirit empowered communities of transformation. I think it's very interesting. When you read Luke's gospel, there's a lot of references to the poor. But the word poor doesn't appear in Luke's second volume, Acts. Why is that? I think it's because Luke goes out of his way to show us that in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit-empowered community of the church, the new order of God's reign prevails to such an extent that there was not a needy person among them. So says Acts 3, 34. So what you find is the church as the community of the kingdom reverses the norms of society to reflect the new society of God's reign. And that reign must never be understood in an individualistic way. There's an old course, used to have a line in it, he reigns within my heart. But, but, but this reign has to be a reign in our community as God's people. We can't just say, don't look at the church, look at Jesus. 
When you do door-to-door evangelism, sometimes that's one of the little answers you're supposed to give. You know, when people start complaining about the hypocrisy of our local church, tell them, don't look at the church, look at Jesus. But actually, theologically, that's very suspect, you know. Because the church is God's showcase of what happens when Jesus reigns in his new community. We're supposed to be setting up signposts to that great future that God has promised for the whole of creation by the things we do now, anticipating what is to come in the future. That's part of our mission. And in this new community, fellowship will be transformative and countercultural in three ways. First of all, fellowship is transformative when we welcome as diverse a people as possible into our community. Ethnically, culturally, socioeconomically, disabled as well as abled, when we make space for all to hear and respond to the good news of the gospel, and we extend that welcome to all to contribute to the building up of the body of Christ. So what do people see? Uh, What do people see when they look at Windsor as a community of of people? Ask, ask yourselves these questions. How can we be a place of support and encouragement? How can we incorporate the gifts and wisdom of the special needs community into our churches? How can this church welcome families and children and teens and adults with special needs? But then, fellowship is transformative when we recognize that the Holy Spirit gifts all individuals for the good of the whole church. And in this particular chapter in Luke, you can't escape reference to the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's, that's one of the big themes in Luke-Acts, the Holy Spirit. And, and through the rest of Luke, and again and again in Acts, Luke reminds us that the gospel is the gospel of the Spirit. Mission is empowered by the Spirit. People are gifted for all kinds of service by the Spirit. And when the apostles in the book of Acts think that they're in charge... God's Holy Spirit steps in and surprises them and turns things all upside down and reminds them whose mission it really is. So in our churches, we, we need to recognize that in the working out of this transforming mission, God's Spirit gifts all of God's people in different ways, and that includes people with intellectual disabilities in our church communities. And I don't come from a church that's got all this sorted, and I don't stand here as a mission leader whose mission organization has got all this sorted. This is a deeply challenging issue for me, for my church, and for the organization I work for. I was struck last week when I read the story uh, shared by Ben Coner, who's a theologian based in the U.S., This is a story from a few years ago, and he asks the question, what does it look like if you actually believe that the Holy Spirit gifts all individuals in your church community? What does that look like? He says this, shares a story about a girl called Megan. Megan, who has a significant intellectual impairment, has been coming to church with our family. She can't read the hymnal, so she makes musical noises while we sing. She can't remember the Apostles' Creed, so she makes appropriate sounds and rhythm with the congregation's recitation. She sits through sermons, but can't follow the logic of them, even when they're reduced to three simple points. Nonetheless, she is part of the community and evokes peace, love, and goodwill from others in the congregation. 
She has an intuitive sense that she belongs to this community and that this community belongs to Jesus. So connected is she that she invited a friend of hers who happens to have Down syndrome to come and be part of the community. Seth is his name. Seth has been coming ever since, uh, has been coming ever since and was baptized last month. Ben Conner says, as it happens, Megan is a more effective evangelist than I. And she lacks all of the capacities that one would expect from an effective evangelist. Rational capacity, reasoning skills, social skills. But God's Spirit is at work through Megan's life and bringing other people to a living faith in the Lord Jesus. The quote was interspersed in the interview with Catherine earlier on. No one is so impaired that they can't bear witness to the Spirit, and no single person should be disabled from participating in the church's witness. Are we prepared to change our way of operating, the way we worship even, the way we think about discipleship, the way we think about evangelism and service, so as to allow a greater diversity of contribution from all who are in the community of the church. Finally, fellowship, community becomes transformative when we recognize that we've got something to receive and learn from the weak and the marginalized. I was introduced many years ago as a student in Bible college to the work of Jean Vanier. And uh, as an Ulster Protestant studying in a college in England, my tutor said to me, by the way, Peter, this, this man comes from the Catholic tradition, so you may need to put your books in brown paper bags when you put them on your bookshelves when you go home. I didn't, I didn't get to that stage. But I really became impacted by what Jean Vanier and the community that he established, L'Arche, uh, have, have been doing for many, many years. And this is from one of his books. He says, if you enter into a relationship with a lonely or suffering person, you will discover something else, that it is you who are being healed. The broken person will reveal to you your own hurt, and the hardness of your heart, but also how much you are loved. Thus, the one you came to heal becomes your healer. You see, the way Jesus fulfilled Isaiah 61 and the shape of Jesus' life and ministry, the way that he became king and embodied biblical justice and proclaimed good news to the poor. That was all by the way of the cross and by taking the form of a servant. So when we open our lives and we open our churches uh, to the vulnerable, to the weak, to the disabled, our paradigms of self-sufficiency and success are deeply challenged. And we become transformed in having a renewed compassion for the weak and the vulnerable and the powerless, both within the church and outside its four walls. So can I encourage you this morning, 
as we think about our calling to be a community of the kingdom. Engage with this in two ways. Number one, continue to engage with it theologically and biblically. I think today, I have never been to a, well, it's been a long, long, long time since I've been to a corporate worship service that has incorporated these themes and this focus. Continue to develop this theology and this reflection because reflecting on it theologically helps us to start asking the right questions. And when we start asking the right questions, we start developing the right strategies. But secondly, engage with people who have complex disabilities. Let's not be abstract about this. Let's engage. Let's get involved in the friendships. Let's build the relationships. And that double engagement of relationship and theological reflection will result in our renewal, our transformation, and our being a countercultural witness to the wider society. Amen.